Before we start tonight's episode, we want to inform our listeners of a prize giveaway for your chance to win one of five 12-month memberships to the Australian Hunters Club. Jump over to our website, endlesspursuit.com.au, click on the links to our socials and follow the instructions. Best of luck and now let's get into the show. You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. And we are weekly. So, by popular demand, (laughs) go time it is. So, because of, I guess, the following and the amount of people that have asked for more uh, and we really thank all our listeners for the great feedback and driving us to want to make more content for you guys we have gone to weekly instead of what was it dodge oh look i say bi-weekly but apparently that is an inappropriate use of the term bi and i would assume that means every second week but apparently it means twice a week Bi-weekly. <laughs> to give you a bit of context here, when Dodge said to me, oh, yep, I think we should go bi-weekly instead of fortnightly because obviously Dodge does the recording but not the editing. And I went, hell no. I'm not, I don't know where I'm finding the time to get four episodes out of fortnight. Two, <laughs> so once a week I can work on. So in bi-weekly. case and in case anyone was told by Dodge it's bi-weekly, no, it is weekly. Dropping them on a Monday, as you will be hearing this now. And, yeah, 52 episodes a year. So excited for that, Dodge. That's a big promise. You better commit to that but not having more kids. Would we say it's bi-fortnightly? Is that correct? Oh, bi-fortnightly would work, but just say weekly. <laughs> I mean, this, this is like the miles versus kilometres versus no. kilos, pounds. It's, Bye. It's- Buy fortnightly. Endless <laughs> pursuit coming at you live. Buy fortnightly. God find us for all you find your good podcast. So I guess the structure for our listeners of how we're going to work it, just in case you haven't heard, is going to be every fortnight we're going to do an extended version with a guest, hopefully. So like it currently is and running. And I know a lot of the feedback on those extended versions with guests have been really promising. And then the one in between is going to be a bit of a shorter version and probably less guests, but we're going to cover some more topics, uh, maybe focus on our segments and things like that. So like the Media Watch and questions, shots fired. with Dodgers Dream Times. That's a big one. So we might start off and get into it with a That's Media Watch. So this week, there's been some big news coming out of South Australia. It's almost as big uh, news as us going weekly. But I guess the current sitting Labor government has promised, and this came out in a letter from a minister that was, I guess, leaked, they have promised to stop bow hunting. And it also said crossbow hunting. I am not 100% sure if crossbow hunting is allowed in South Australia. I'm not sure there. I'm sure we'll be able to find out with one of our guests who will let us know. But they are trying to ban and they've committed to banning bow hunting. Now, this is really concerning for me. The reason being is it's a, I guess, a step down the pathway of banning hunting and it's being done on an ethical grounds. Now, this is just the, the first foot towards outlawing rifle hunting, any type of hunting. 
and it's on the premise of protecting the animals and that it's not ethical, which that really concerns me. Dodge, what do you think? Yeah, and it's a like you said, it's a bit of a gateway. The next thing will be the duck season and then recreational fishing and then it, it's just it opens the floodgates and once they chip away at one little part of the pillar, it uh, doesn't take a whole lot for the whole pillar to crumble. So I'm not uh, – there is some links available and we'll probably put them up with the episode as more information and where people can head to have their say. But I'd like to – you know, although it doesn't directly affect us here in New South Wales or wherever you're listening, definitely indirectly eventually will affect us, those ripples. They just came to they just keep spreading. Well, it's that precedent. If one state does it and then it's that ripple effect and if it picks up votes, and we've got to remember the hunting population in Australia is quite small compared to the general population. And if politicians are gaining traction and gaining votes on the back of it and they see the popularity of that politician that banned it in other states, it's just gonna follow on. And that that does worry me. It's it's something I, I know I saw another one a little bit off topic, but they're over in WA in regards to fishing. They're banning fishing for multiple years in certain areas. Now, this is a really interesting one, and I know I had some discussion with someone on Facebook in regards to it, and he sounded like he was a commercial fisherman because he was really pointing the finger at recreational fishermen saying that there's far more recreational fishermen taking a lot more. Now, in my personal experience and my parents live up in Queensland on a couple of really good rivers and one stage when they first moved there we were able to pull you'd get 20 30 crabs in a crab pot uh, you want to keep them all obviously and you throw a lot back because of legal limits and sizes however the commercial fishermen got in there and they took out a heap they had hundreds of pots in there every day and night and it's to the point where after that first two years of really good crab numbers there's none and i know i'll find a link for it but the amount of tons of barramundi and different fish that are getting pulled out of these waterways by commercial fishermen alone is ridiculous so whilst I'm very nervous about seeing something get banned for three years. I understand trying to get the fish population back up, but, geez, if it's not up in three years' time, what do they do? Oh, another three mm. years? Would it not be better just to axe one, like commercial fishermen, and say, you're not, you're not fishing commercially in here, we're going to restrict or revoke the licences? Recreational fishermen, you can still go because you're only allowed sort of one thing. And on top of that, I read a proposal of legislation saying that in the future that if you're fishing, you can only use one rod and reel. So instead of being on a boat by yourself and having five different lines out, you can only have one. So that's an interesting concept. I'm not actually opposed to that. I think that's probably if you're out there trying to catch something, it's not a bad thing, but that's my opinion. What do you think, Dodge? Uh, two things. It's very difficult hunting with five rifles, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a fisherman, but, I, yeah, no, I definitely would have multiple lines in the water, increase your chances. The other thing is you're talking about how many tonnes of Barramundi and things were removed from the river. How many ton was that crab that you posted you holding? Because it looked like you've eaten a few of those since. Oh, wow. Mate, look, I uh, have put on a few kilos since back there, but it was, was a throwback Thursday picture. And it was a decent-sized crab, actually. When, we, uh, when my parents first moved up to Queensland, we did a fair bit of Fishing and crab fishing and chucking pots out and uh, they were getting- It was really a big nuts. crab. It was good. T- deli- mate, mud crab is one of the best tasting 
things you can get out there? I went to on a trip to Africa once. We did a stopover in Singapore because I was trying to be tight. And it's just one of the stopovers on the way. And we did, I think it was three days there. Now, for people that know me, I do not like, they know that I do not like pepper, chili, or anything that adds any type of heat to any type of meal. I also don't like capsicum. That's the one, the main thing. But going over to Singapore, I really enjoy trying the country's national dish. What's the national dish of Singapore? Got no idea. Chili mud crab. Oh, is it? There you go. Yeah. Look, I don't know if it's the legitimate national dish, but it's definitely one I wanted to try. So the month before I went over, I was adding chili flakes to everything I was eating. Nothing can compare you, can prepare you for the amount of sweat that came out of my face whilst eating a chili mud crab on the docks of the seafood harbour in, I don't know where we were, top part of Singapore near the airport. Oh, man, I haven't sweat that bad since I was chittle hunting in far north Queensland with Unton a couple of years ago. It was delicious, but a reminder the next morning how undelicious it was. Well, speaking of Ben, and we were talking with him about in episode eight about foxes. I think in episode seven and eight we talked about foxes, and um, interestingly enough, I spoke about how the councils have been removing 1080. Now, last night... I'm in the front room and my sensor light goes off. And I was like, that's weird. There's no wind. There's no anything. And I'm sort of semi-rural and walked outside, sort of had a bit of a look and a nice large fox was right under the windowsill of the house and probably because I have chickens and they free range during the day and it was smelling where they sort of hang out. Um, on the property and the dogs weren't set off, my dogs, and obviously it didn't deter it either. So uh, quite interesting. I'm clearing out the new chook pen and I've found all the eggs that the chickens have been getting out of their current chook pen and that's where they're laying. So in, I put them in a big pot, brought them down, and then we got hit with that really bad hailstorm and multiple eggs got smashed. So I just left them there overnight because it's literally out the back. It's on a pathway where my dogs, are. they pretty much sleep near. And we have woken up this morning and those eggs have all been taken, eaten and dispersed around sort of the property or gone altogether. So I found the remains of probably three eggs and there's probably a good 10 maybe there. So because of that, tonight I have set a fox trap and baited up with some egg because I know it likes eggs, and I've thrown in some dirty bird KFC Oof. to see if we can get what it. A waste. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, what did you use? Hey, whatever you can do. I want to be the breast piece. No, nah, I used a little leg. I'll tell you <laughs> what though, the legs were the smallest legs I've ever seen. It wasn't Kentucky Fried Chicken tonight; it was Kentucky Quail. It yeah. was so small. KFQ. Yeah, geez, it was so tiny. Yeah, so that's all set up, ready to go. I'm really hoping I catch his forks uh, just because my chickens are free-ranging and sometimes I don't get them back of the night and I don't really want to lose any. So uh, I've set the trail cams up. And so if I don't get the fox, at least we'll hopefully get some footage of it before I work out a new strategy to get it. Yeah, so that's up. That's (laughs) my current hunting experience is more trapping. What are you going to do if you do get one in the cage? I probably will take it to a mate's property. They're on a bit more land than I am. They're on about 40 acres, only about five minutes from me. 
and I'll uh, probably just take the 22 and give it a uh, dispatch. A nice, yeah, nice, quick, clean dispatch. So um, I'm not one of these types that wants to, you know, relocate it and wish it all the best as it goes because it doesn't hurt anything. Can you go through drive through KFC on the way? Well, I give it a last supper. Yeah, Green Mile, kind of. Well, technically, I've given it the last supper and the trap. True. Hope it craps in your car. Oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll bring the trap down to yours. You can help me clean it. <laughs> yeah, won't be hard. So um, I know on Facebook at the moment, I follow a lot of US sites because, as I said in one of my previous episodes, I really thoroughly have dreams of getting over to the US and hunting whitetail, turkeys, elk, moose, that sort of thing. I just I love the idea of the real heavy calling of animals. Love the sound of an elk. That bugle's just awesome. And so watching what everyone's posting there at the moment because it is hunting season in quite a few of the states uh, really got me keen to hear about possibly some of your guiding stories, Dodge. So, mate, have you got any – let's get into – Dreaming with Dodge. Pressure's on. Do you have any elk stories? Because that's just that's the one I'm keen for at the moment to hear about that. Yeah, I do. And probably one of my favorite ones. There was there was a ranch in Montana we worked on and we were hunting outside the border of Yellowstone National Park. We were on the border sometimes. It's when I say border, it's literally White posts every 100 or so, let's say 97 yards, 100 metres, and with a little reflector on them. And that's the boundary. So you've really got to be careful you don't cross it. Anyway, we were hunting the boundary one day with a client whose name was Q-Ball. Now, I've got a little bit of backstory on him. He was one of the most fun, enjoyable clients I had in the States. Uh, Very quirky. And not someone I would picture being a hunter. Uh, he actually runs a, talking about quail, uh, like a pheasant and quail hunting outfit down south somewhere. And he is a descendant of the Coca-Cola line. So his couple of great grandfathers ago was the original creator of Coke. And I'm going to tell the story how I recount it from him and I don't know how many layers of mayo were added on his story whether it's true or not I haven't looked into it because I love it so much I don't want to ruin it if it isn't the truth but his name was Q-Ball and I said what why Q-Ball I knew it was a nickname his name we'll get into the elk hunting in a minute but this is the background <laughs> it's not just dream time right <laughs> oh, we'll get there your your brain works in mysterious ways mm. <laughs> definitely does so his name was Quintero. Ball was his last name, B-A-L-L, but Quintero. Now, this, the story goes there was two pharmaceutical companies in the town, let's call them back in the day, and one of them sold Coke as a remedy for all your ailments and the other one sold, we'll call it Pepsi. It was probably more Sunkist or something. We'll call it Sunkist. So they challenged each other to a duel Back in those days, that was a thing. And the thing with the duel is that you can nominate someone to take your position for you. So Q's or Quintero's great, 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 great grandfather 
was no good with guns. He was a physician or a pharmacist. So he nominated his store clerk, Quintero, to fight for him in the duel. And he said, if you die in the duel, it was a one shot from the hip kind of duel in the main street at four o'clock in the afternoon. I added that detail. If you die whilst protecting this, I will look after your family forever. If you live while protecting this, what we've got, I will look after your family forever. And as an extra condition, I will name the firstborn son of every generation to come after you, Quintero. So this is several generations later and there's still Quintero balls. And as you can judge by that, Coke won, Sunkist lost. The Coke guy only had one store in town. Sunkist had three or four, so he ended up cleaning up and dominating the town. And that's my version of the story of how Coke came around. Now, I'm sure that's probably not the truth, but it was a great story. I took him hunting and then his hunting story was just as fun. We found an elk. Well, we found a herd of elk. We found a bull. It was a five by six, nothing massive, but as it turns out, Q-Ball really liked experience, not inches in size, so he was quite happy to target that bull. He didn't need to go looking for bigger ones or anything. So give you a bit of a picture of what he looked like. If you can picture a five-foot-five guy, big beard, big cowboy hat, and then he had the cross bracing of ammo across his chest, like the guy out like of- Rambo. Oh, yeah, but more of the cartoon version, the one that chases uh, Sam, Samity Sam. Oh, Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam. So he had pistol on one hip, 3006 in one scabbard under one leg, and a 350, sorry, and a 44 Magnum under the other leg. So he had two rifles and a pistol and enough ammunition for the coming of, I don't know, the dead. Hold on. Can we go back? You previously just said you couldn't hunt with five rifles and now you're giving us a story where you can hunt with five rifles. Three. Three. Oh, I'm sorry. Three. But, yes, no, I don't hunt with five. Uh, so he has, well, two rifles and a pistol. Let's get technical here. So he had the 306 under one leg, 44 Magnum under the other, and 357 on his hip. Like, we're only elk hunting. Yeah, it's bear country, but we don't need that. Anyway, I wasn't one to tell him, so we went out and we had fun. Pulls the first shot on this elk and shoots a little bit low and actually just below the chest. And this was the 306 was his first gun of choice. A little bit below the chest, blows out the front leg. I wouldn't say shoulder, but leg just below. The, and this thing was limping hard and bleeding quite substantially. And we'd had heavy snow. And you mentioned in one of your other episodes, you'd like to learn how to track properly in the snow. Well, it's not hard when they're bleeding substantially and dragging a leg. But the thing was still quick. He put another round and it hit, but I don't know. I can't remember where it hit. It was in the back ham or something on the run. So we tracked this thing on the horses and we were probably a good hour and a half or two hours from home. We tracked this thing and it walked within 50 yards of the barn and back at the house and then cut through the back paddock of the property and then back out onto the public land and kept going. Anyway, we got a whistle from someone up ahead and they were talking about it. They'd seen this wounded elk and they were wondering who. Anyway, so we caught up to it. He ended up finishing it. He only bought four rounds for his 06. He ended up running out of those, finishing it at point blank range with his 44 Magnum. And then he'd never shot the 357 pistol. So he put one in it with that just to be sure. Now, at the time, it was all fun. And then he got real serious when it came time to cut it up. I thought, oh, you know, he's. 
a little bit emotional about this. He wasn't crying or anything, but he just went real, a little bit somber and not quite as funny as he had been. And then he pulled out the heart and took a quite a large bite out of it and then continued to eat most of the heart whilst we were cutting the rest of it up. So I don't know. We didn't really delve into that too much. He did offer me some and I didn't didn't take him up on that. But I do have a photo of him somewhere with him eating a heart like an apple and an elk heart is the size of a dinner plate. It's like a rock melon kind of size or even bigger. So he had a few bites of it. We packed out the elk. I'll put up a photo how we do that. It was uh, gutted, chopped down the middle with an axe right down the middle of the backbone and then put over each saddle horse, half on each horse with the antlers over the top of another one. And then packed out. So I'm sorry that was a long story. Definitely Dodger's dreaming time. But uh, Q Ball, the long lineage of Coke, got his elk. That was some years ago now. I was thinking about traditions when you came to the back end of that story, eating like a heart. And being a guide, you've probably seen quite a few different traditions over the years from clients. You know, is there a couple that really stand out in your minds? Yeah, there's the. The blood smear on the face situation for young hunters as a initiation thing, I think it's more of like I don't particularly, I wouldn't say enforce is the wrong word and encourage is not the right word either, but just, yeah, it's not something I do, but a lot of American hunters do it. I was reading that Cam Haynes, he uh, he leaves the heart behind and he understands that it's a valuable part of meat, part of the meat and whatnot, but his theory is if he leaves something behind that means something to him, then the, the spirits and the gods will favour him and, and provide him with a good hunt next time in return. So it's an interesting little one. But no, I haven't, uh, other than biting the heart or, or whatnot, I can understand why they think that's important, but it's not something I've ever done. What about yourself? No, look, the only sort of tradition I do like to just take a moment and thank the animal for giving up its life, whether it be handshake, you know, well, I don't shake its hand, no, but uh, it doesn't matter what type it is either, even if it's a feral pest. I just think we're all part of the circle of life and for me that's just a, a bit of a respect thing. So I like to just take a moment, thank the animal, you know, for a successful hunt and that's, yeah, it's just something I've sort of always done and don't know where it sort of came from. Getting back to your possible fox in the trap coming up, is there any animals you wouldn't eat? I wouldn't eat a fox if that's what you're alluding to. Why not? Uh, look, uh, dog is probably one of the only things. I just – I don't know why, but it, I guess it's the Western sort of like upbringing. I just think dog is not to be eaten. But then it's funny because then, I'll, you know, I was on the uh, a previous episode talking about the Brumby Culls and what a waste of meat and I'd love to eat Chevaline. So, yeah, it, uh, look, I'm sort of – really struggle with that comparison for me going, well, why wouldn't you eat that animal? So I haven't personally tried dogaline, but I have tried <laughs> foxaline. Oh, you've eaten fox? Yeah, I did. I took a backstrap off and a bit of back leg, cooked it over the fire. Tasted exactly like you would think it tasted like. Terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't really imagine it'd be good. Like it wasn't disgusting and you're going to die from it. But I think the issue was more that my hands still smelt like the fox when I was eating it. So uh, a bit of that old yeah. complex. But no, it was. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'd done it and I've done it and I didn't die from it. Again, I probably wouldn't recommend it. It's just uh, something I did for fun. Yeah, look, I, um, I'm looking at mine going, if I catch it, which I'm really hoping I obviously do, but 
I really it was a nice looking fox, nice thick coat. So uh, I was sitting there going, "Yep, I would love to turn this into a bit of a, a fur that I have here at the house." If if it's a female, you'll probably find it's got no fur underneath because it'll be whelping pups in the kennel, in the kennel, in the den at the moment. So it'll have no fur and plenty of teats full of milk. And if it's a male, you'll probably find it's just starting to drop winter coat and thinning out a little. Would you draw the line at if it's got milk, would you drink the milk? You've eaten a fox. I do like a Milo. I <laughs> would prefer to refrigerate it first. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they pa- to pasteurize it, you've got to boil it out and things like that. Maybe that might be the go. How much milk would you get out of a fox? Look, I, I'm going to hazard I can't a guess. imagine it being much. Well, if you think, she's probably got five or six pups at home, kittens, pups. And when I say home, in a hole in the ground or something or under someone's shed, but they're probably drinking 30 to 40 mils each a day. Gee, you know, could get you a litre of milk a week. Off topic story here. Obviously, my wife is uh, pregnant with twins at the moment and pregnant. is breastfeeding. Pregnant oh, with twins it, and breastfeeding. No. Sorry, she's given birth. All right, my apologies, mate. I'm lack of sleep. You know that. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I get in trouble for this one, but uh, I've used to run around calling myself Farmer Matt and, uh, you know, <laughs> because before she gave birth, we uh, would do the expressing a colostrum to have as much possible to, you know, give the, the babies a boost. So I likened it to milking a <laughs> cow. <laughs> Is that why I saw you in so, <laughs> Camden with a straw hat on and that flannel plaid that day? Yep. And then uh, for a while there, I'd, I'd call her my best producer and my mooey and um, – <laughs> So I got in a, a fair bit of trouble because I did say that in front of a couple of mates and I wasn't too popular with her. Well, there you've said it a couple of a thousand I, listeners. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> she, uh, no, nah, she's very good. She has a, uh, she has a great sense of humour to uh, put up with myself. But what was it? Yeah, my movie. I would. My- <laughs> My, my main producer, and uh, I did call her Mooey. And there was a couple of times I was teaching my two-year-old how to moo, and that got me in a bit of trouble as well. But uh, <laughs> lucky she's got a good sense of humour and uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast. That's probably another good thing. So hopefully uh, she does follow the socials. So oh. hopefully no one posts anything or talk about that, please. But I got an update on the gun. <gasps> What's happening? Good or bad? Good, good, good. I... Uh, I did some soul searching off the advice from Mick in episode seven and, you know, I was tossing up between the seven millimeter 08 and the 308 and I've never bought a used gun before. I've always purchased new and I probably, I just like to, I, I do it with cars as well. I like to know the history of it, right? So I know that it's mine. I know nothing's, it's been taken care of. Uh, to the extent that I do. And I was having to think about it, went to the gun shop the other week with the club to just pop in and say hello to everyone at the barbecue, went and had a bit of a chat, looked at what ammo was available on the shelf. And as Mick and Ben and everybody mentioned in episode seven, there was a real lack of ammo in 7mm 08. Now, eventually I do want to look at reloading, but my life with young kids and twins especially is very, very time-consuming and reloading is definitely not an option at this stage. So 
I, that worried me and I sort of thought about it and went, well, look, I'll probably buy both at some stage anyway. So I started looking at 308 and I've always wanted to go down the Cerakote pathway and I know we talked about that too on episode seven. And a used gun came up for sale. It was the Meat Eater and sorry, let me go back a bit. It was the Weatherby Vanguard Meat Eater Edition in 308. It's already cerakoted, spiral, flu- um, spiral fluted barrel. It looks sensational. Muzzle brake, you name it, looks looks good. The only thing I don't like about it is it doesn't have a magazine. Mm. So it has a plate that you unlatch mm. and the springs on that. So you have to load it in from the top. However, this is only going to be a hunting rifle. So realistically, I only need not sort of three concern. in it. No, but- it's not like I'm going to the range and- you know, firing 50 to 100 rounds. My one thing with clients, sometimes they'll turn up with a, a firearm that doesn't have a bottom plate. It's only top load only. And there's a, I can't remember the brand, a few brands that used to do that. And that's fine. But the downside is to unload that gun. If you put five in it and you've only shot one, how do you get the four out? You have to cycle it. And that just creates a whole area of problematic misfires or could fire or whatnot. I know you're not dropping the hammer on it, but you've still got to cycle it four times to get them out. Well, that would be the reason it's a three-way safety. So I think the middle off the top of my head, you can cycle it, but the trigger can't get pulled. So it's basically safety's on, cycle the action, get the the rounds out, and, yeah, you're you're good from, I guess, that perspective. But it's an interesting one. It was one that it did turn me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. That was one, probably the only thing on the gun I really don't like. Must have really turned you off. Well, because you bought it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> look, it was just, it was, it was nice. I went and felt one, got Rising? a bit of a cheek riser. Com- compared to, no, I don't care what the numbers are, but compared to retail, secondhand? Uh, probably 60% was what I paid. That's fair. Yeah, I, I thought it was, and it's in good nick. Um, obviously, when you're buying a used gun, you have to take the seller's word for it. Uh, looked in good condition. He reckons he's only shot sort of 40 rounds through it, um, mainly sighting in at the range and sort of used it uh, and found that it was probably not what he was needing it for. Didn't, and that was the reason he was moving it on. Do you anything with it? He's a contract shooter, so he said that it was just a bit big for – he had the night night vision on it. I can't remember if he said it was night vision or thermal, but uh, he just said it was has a pretty big kick uh, on it, being a 308. And he said the he found the muzzle brake didn't do a great deal. That was the, the standard muzzle brake that comes with it. So that might be something I look at. What, what I'm hearing is you've bought a gun that hasn't shot deer, so it will suit quite well in your house. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's really funny. You keep complaining about the solo eater thing, saying, don't do it. I'm, I'm really conscious. And cry at you- home. <laughs> and then every second chance you get about raising the fact that I haven't shot a deer yet, where's the support? That's what Zero. I want to know. Zero. The reason you get no support is because you don't get a sound bite. If I had a sound bite to press that every time I brought up the fact that you didn't shot a deer, then I might have people ringing me complaining about it. Would you like me to make one for you and then <laughs> I can yourself. put it up? Yeah. yeah, you can do it. Oh, just tell me when to press it. You can you know, have a little flag or something that you wave and I can press <laughs> the soundbite for you. So so what have you have you got it? You picked it up? Not yet. I'm uh, just waiting for the PTA to come in and once the PTA comes in, I will go and grab it. But uh, went out, had a look at it. 
make sure it's like the photos and things like that. Uh, I don't know how I'd go buying a gun interstate because you're not getting to physically put your hands on it. I know probably something you've done. No, no, I haven't. I did buy one interstate, but I was there at the time. So I did the transfer in Queensland and then just flew it home. Well, would you buy a gun that you couldn't yeah. Yeah, I touch? Would. I would. Just off photos? I mean, I don't know what happens if it gets to the gun shop and you don't like it. You know, can you send it back? I don't know what that process is like, but. I wouldn't think you could. Well, you could, but it would be on the seller. Be on you. No, you'd have to pay for it, surely. If you didn't like it and reneged on the sale, you'd be paying for it. Well, you probably would. You'd pay the shipping, but, I mean, the seller might not want it back. And then what do you do? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's the other one. So. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm still out of pocket for a deer hunt, a meat deer hunt through a, uh, I'm not going to name who the guide is, but, uh, yeah, I'm still. Not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not Dodge. Um, <laughs> maybe it was Dodge because he, he, he doesn't want me to get a deer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, paid paid 50% for a deer hunt, me, myself and, and two other mates, and uh, COVID hit. And the individual has just dropped off the face of the earth. However, they're still selling guides at the moment. And a couple of people have posted about speaking to them and I got in touch with them and it's the same mobile number, but I'm getting blocked. And yeah, it's very interesting, which is disappointing. But, uh, you know, it's it's probably a good indicator for some people to make sure that check out that the guide's reputable and, you know, you, you do, do your due diligence. But in saying that, I did and I... You know, everything said this was a very respectable, good person. So, a bit disappointing, but that's life. Probably going a little bit off topic from Matt's gun because I want to just run with what he just said there. And something I say to my clients and also just people in general booking guided hunts is if you'd like to get a reference from a past client of a guided hunt, ask for someone who didn't shoot an animal because if you go on a hunt and everything's terrible, the food's terrible, the car breaks down, the weather's terrible, you don't see many animals, and then right at the end you shoot a big stag, you'll come out of there and you'll go, well, that was a bit rough but wasn't terrible. I got a big what I wanted. But if someone goes in there and doesn't see any animals, camp's terrible, car's terrible, and then doesn't shoot anything, they'll be a little more honest in their review. So when you are searching for reviews, try and find someone who didn't, who came home empty-handed They'll give you an honest opinion of we tried hard, the animals just weren't playing the game, the wind wasn't right, the food was great, the camp was good, the cars were great, but I didn't shoot anything. That's more of an honest review. Well, the other one would be also check out they've got an ABN. Uh, one thing I did not do is check that they had it was an actual business. So when they've stopped communication, I've gone through other channels, um, spoken to the person that does their social media who apparently is not them, and they said, look, that's they can't get in touch with the person. The only real steps that we could take was get in touch with fair trading and things like that to try and sort out a solution. And you really still, I just want my hunt. I'm not really fussed about the money. I just, you know, I paid for something either I'm happy to have the money back or let me do the hunt. And uh, basically fair trading said, well, there's no ABN, so they don't exist as a company registered unlucky we can't do that much anyway which was disappointing so maybe just another tip there to make sure that the guide has a registered business and an abn there so you can check that out make sure they're up to speed so if something does go wrong you've at least got a little bit of uh, a leg to stand on something a little bit tricky on the guiding side in australia 
is there's not a whole lot of association, guides association or accredited guides or things like that. There is some stuff up in Darwin for the guides up there, which is great. It runs and works quite well. There's a lot of people that still work outside of those limits and they're always pushing the boundaries. But one thing that's missing from most guides is insurance. A lot of guys run without insurance and you either might know that or might not and as a client and your R license may or may not cover you, but I'm going to say it won't because as soon as you're on a paid trip, that is null and void. That's only for recreational hunting, not for paid hunting. If they're taking you and getting any sort of reciprocation or a you know, case of beer, 100 bucks, $2,000, your insurance does not cover that. So it's uh, yeah, definitely one to look into insurance side of things. And the reason most people don't have it is because it's freaking expensive. It's like eight to twelve grand minimum per annum for a guide. That's a lot. That's a lot of money to be uh, sinking into before you even book any clients. So just something to uh, yeah be wary of when booking. And you can understand like that if you're you're spending say twelve grand. That's a grand a month. Like that's profit out of the the guiding payments and. They're not that – look, for me, I don't think they're that expensive. Oh, not the ones here in Australia anyway. Like when you consider some of the prices I've seen up, some like uh, – I'm going off Facebook here, but the latest one in my mind is like I think it was between two and a half and three and a half for uh, a red stag that's pretty reasonable for – I think it's three days. Which – where was that? Don't tell me who it was, but uh, – I, I don't – I think it was down in uh, – it's in southwestern Victoria, I believe. And they were big, big stags? They looked pretty good. Yeah, so I know who it is. They um, – I mean, yeah, that is that is good going rates. They're farm stags, ex-velvet stuff in an estate-style situation. And, yeah, they're fair prices for that sort of thing. It's just a, a go in and pick one and, and shoot one. So, the um, yeah, pricing in Australia is an interesting thing. I personally don't – um, yeah, it's a bit hard to price yourself against others when everyone offers different things. I mean, we try to offer a door-to-door service, chauffeur each side to the airport and everything included in between. So sometimes the pricing is a bit different than others and just like with most things, check what's check what's included and what's not. Is it BYO alcohol? Is guide supplying a little bit and you're supplying extra or to get picked up at the airport or have you got to get yourself there? Pricing's changed too. I mean, two and a half years ago, Chittle Hunt was between $25 to $3,200 for a one-on-one for a week. And now it's at 43 to five grand. So, and I mean, that's price of fuel's gone up and everything else has. So I understand that. But yeah, just so people are aware, prices are not coming backwards. No, and that's inflation. Everything's going up. So you got to look at the end of the day, the guy's got to make a, a living and money too. So if you're like myself who doesn't have that private access, it is a way to be able to get onto some private access and hopefully be successful as well because there's some good paid property like you can get onto, but that's generally hammered pretty hard because all those people that can't get access to private are going to go to those sites and pay for it. So I know in my experience going on paid properties, it's been hard to get on from a booking perspective. And then if it's booked out all the time and people are running around shooting 
at animals, it, they're going to be very flighty. It's going to be pretty full on and pretty hard. So, look, that's just the nature of our passion, I guess, that uh, some people have access to private and some people don't. So, thank God we've got state forests. At least we get the chance to hunt down here. I feel sorry for people up in Queensland where they don't have any public land hunting. And that is Adelaide's like that or South Australia's like that, private only. Okay. I don't know much about SA. I've only, I sort of only know mostly the East Coast. But, um, you know, I love how much access Vic has. And, you know, I think we're pretty lucky. I know people complain, can complain about the, the state forests and, the R license system and booking and things like that. But I think it's relatively fair, even the fact that you can only book two hunts. I'd like to say cap on the days. I don't know if that people book for very long periods of time when they book one, so they have two. But that is probably something to, to look at. I do love the fact that they've now breaking uh, between day hunting with rifles and night hunting for pigs. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because – a lot of forests were getting booked out for pig hunting of a night. They're not there during the day, so a deer hunter or any hunter in there with the rifle could be out and about, but they were getting booked out. So, you know, props to DPI for looking at that and, and trying to introduce that. Hopefully that's – I think it's up and running now. Yeah, and that was only from users jumping on and saying, you know, this is possibly an issue and they considered it and took it on board. I know Kyle was an advocate for that and I think he was in front of that. So thank you for yeah, those great guys idea. for piping up and mentioning that. Yeah, so no, definitely movement in the right direction there. So pretty happy that they've gone down that pathway. Now we just got to get those national parks open. That'd be gold. Mm. But there was something from SSAA that I saw come through. So uh, fingers crossed we'll get some more information about that and see how that one travels down the road. Anything coming up, Dodge? Any hunts, mate? No, trying to, well, not particularly. Trying to get out this weekend and ping a few foxes and whatnot locally. You got the family's actually away. At the moment, on a camping trip, and I'm at home working. So, would you like me to bring the uh, caged fox if I catch it, and then I can release it for you to ping? Yeah, well, like a win's a win. <laughs> Take it. Foxes are a bit of a weakness of mine. I have missed more foxes than I have killed, and uh, yeah, they're just they make me nervous. That sounds weird because it's not like they sneak up on you. What makes me nervous about them is. You go to a property and the farmer says, oh, you know, have a good time. There's plenty of rabbits out there. You might see a deer, but if you see a fox, don't miss it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I remember that happening early on. I was like, oh, yeah, right, i got to shoot the foxes. And I missed one and I I didn't tell him because I thought he was going to kill me. So, yeah, it's been a bit of weakness, haven't shot many. So please bring all your caged foxes to my house and I will dispatch (laughs) them and notch them up on my wall as a win. Happy days. How do you hunt? Foxes, like personally. So generally, you don't go out just for foxes, do you? Because I know if I was going out just for foxes, I'm taking a shotgun. Uh, I'm not going to worry about like a 223 or the 243 or anything like that. I'm just going to go shoddy with a red dot. And that's how I would want to call them in and shoot. Just I feel that I'm much happier to get them. So, yes, you're right. I don't particularly go out and hunt foxes. I've never really specifically gone out and sat down to call foxes or anything. Definitely something I've always just targeted as a side bonus. I've been shooting rabbits. I wounded one and a fox came out of the blackberries, grabbed the rabbit and run away. I only had the 22 with me and it was probably pushing 80 odd meters and I gave it a few peppers as it ran away and I missed. And then, yeah, so I, 22 Magnum is probably what I would prefer to shoot them with at you know anything up to 80, 100 meters 
at that. I've got a Magnum I'm pretty happy with out to that. And beyond that, 223's my favourite. So, yeah, I don't actually own a decent shotgun other than the one I got off Ben that I haven't got yet. But, it, uh, yeah, it'll be my takeout for pigs and foxes guns. So, looking forward to that. Speaking of, I put in three PTAs the other day. And the options on the PTAs, one was for that shotgun. Second one was for my original 223 that I bought. It was my first gun I ever bought with a, sorry, third gun, but I bought them all at the same time. And I sold it reluctantly or stupidly when I went overseas, just needed a bit of cash. And it was a TAC driver. It was a Remington 700 and I put it in a TAC TAC 21 chassis and had a top of the range Vortex scope on it, 12 to 24 power or something, illuminated reticle. And this thing was... 300 meters, just dead on. Everything under that, just dead. I loved it. It was a head shooting machine for any work I was doing. So I reluctantly sold it and had spoken to the guy briefly that I sold it to and he mentioned he's only put 50 rounds through it since 2013. Wow. That's Dodge County. 10 years. Uh, nine years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, a while. So I said, oh, if you ever want to sell it, let me know. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd be interested. And I'm right on, done, sold. And he sold it back to me for the same money I sold it to him for, which I think is fair. So it's uh, anyway, that was one of the PTAs. But my point of the PTAs was there was only when it asked for my reason for purchasing it, it gave two options. One was the correct caliber for the game species targeted. And the second was other. And it wanted you to write something. Prior to, I haven't done one for a while, but prior to that, they had a drop down menu with 37 others. And one of them was Marine. Like there were some weird options on there. So I'm not sure where they all went. Any input on that? Yeah. So we were talking about that the other week. Um, so I had one, my last PTA, not the one I've just done. One probably did about a month or so ago, probably a little bit longer. Took 28 days because I did tick the other box and wrote down I needed a bigger caliber for game. So in the last month, they have adjusted the new gun safe system, which I'm a fan of. I will say that because it tells you when you put your permit in, how many dates, uh, sorry, how many days have gone. It tells you the status really quickly on the hold on the dashboard. So I put my another one in the other day and it was approved in two days. And it was the same as what you just said, Dodge. It was the rec- required caliber for game that you're hunting because you ticked in the vermin recreational hunting box and that was it. And it got issued in two days as opposed to my uh, the one I went for a month ago, which took 28 days and it had to go to a, a panel to discuss. So I'm a massive fan of this gun safe system. I think it's a definite upgrade compared to what we were dealing with previously. And to get the PTA approved in two days, that's awesome in my books. How did you tell me again how you check the process or the progress of your... So if you go into your portal, so your firearms portal to get a PTA. Talk me through it. Talk the listeners through it. Let's go through it. All right. So if you go on, if you just search up uh, GunSafe or go to New South Wales Police Force website, all right, police.newsouthwales.gov.au for firearms, it will come up with- I'm a slow typer. Oh, God. It will come up with the login. 
So with your service New South Wales, so you hit the login aspect. It'll ask for your email. Not there yet. Firearms registry. Yep. Check your license permit or PTA. That's the one. It'll ask you to log in with Service New South Wales. So while you're doing that for our listeners, it's typing in, if you've already got the Service New South Wales app and you've approved everything and linked everything up, it'll ask you to log in through Service New South Wales. While it does that, it will check your, uh, it'll verify your documents. So you will have your Australian driver's license, maybe your Medicare card, whatever it might be. And once it's verified that, it will tell you it's verified and it will take you down to the dashboard and right at the – so the different things you can do for the application, you can get your PTA application, individual license renewal, et cetera, and there's a heap down there. You can update your safe storage and firearm details, uh, add a new genuine reason. If you go all the way down the bottom, it will have your pending applications. And in that, it will tell you what they are. So they will be listed. They will give you the date submitted. They will give you how it's going, whether it's been issued, submitted, uh, referred, whatever it might be. And it will also say days after. So it will tell you how many days after your submission and what it's up to. So as I said, for me, two days and it got issued. That was fantastic. Right here. So three PTAs put in, application date 23rd of the 9th, which is a Friday, Issue date, 25th of the 9th, which is a Sunday. PTA issued. So, I'm assuming I'm just waiting for them in the mail. Yeah. So, one of the things I noticed with it is when I submitted mine, the day of or within 24 hours, it had uh, the status was saying um, approved to issue. So, it hadn't been issued, but I think it was something, some wording like that, but it was just said approved to issue and I got issued it. Now, it is a, um, a category that I've got other rifles in that category so it's not like it's getting a a new category for the first time which takes a little bit longer so that's not a bad thing well thank you for those important tips matt on how to check the status of your pta i think it's important i like to know it's like christmas coming i get excited when christmas comes with some presents and a pta is probably more exciting i just hope they come in one envelope so i can tell the wife it's only one not three or intercept the mail (laughs) <laughs> I do that. I check every day. If you don't check every day at my house, the uh, snails get into it. And it literally is snail mail. But I liked it back in the day when you could go down to your firearm shop and say, I want to put a PTA in. They give you the bit of paper. You fill it out. You give them 30 bucks cash and you walk away and they would post it off. No one was any the wiser. And then what, the safe just got a little bit fuller and no one noticed. But now you've got to go online and use your internet banking or your credit card or and then it gets issued to your house and your wife picks up the mail. And yes, please send in one envelope for future reference, firearms registry. On that, and lastly, not to get all political, but there is um, policy floating around from the Greens that are trying to restrict the amount of rifles you can have, any one individual can have, to five. Well, you can't hunt with five. so That's correct. And that's what they're saying is that you don't need to have any more rifles than five because you can only use one at a time and five different calibers should should be able to take over uh, pretty much every everything you, you need. Uh, so that's a very interesting one because, you know, if that was to get approved, I wonder what would happen to all the people that had those rifles, like had more than five. Would you then have to nominate which ones you had to hand back? Would they let you keep them? 
Surely it's not retrospective. And I, I do, I can understand that. I mean, for let's say, I'm going to just guess and say 70% of the community, 60% of the community, that's probably fine. Most guys might just have a shotgun, a 22, and a center fire a bit bigger, 308 or 223 or whatever. I mean, I've got, I think I'm at 12 or so, and I have multiple calibers, and I probably don't need them, but I don't like selling guns. I just like buying them. And the way I actually used this analogy once, and I've told many people this, I was at SHOT Show, and Channel 7 were rocking around with a film crew, and they were trying to stir up a story, looking at us hillbillies. And the lady came around without the cameras. She had a microphone, and she said, "Oh, you know, excuse me, sir, such and such from Channel 7. Just like to ask you how many firearms you had. And I, I think I had nine at the time. I said nine. And she signaled the cameraman, come over, come over. So he set up and they, she would you mind having an interview? No worries. Hi, I'm with, you know, at the SSAA SHOT Show in Sydney and I'm, you know, talking with Dodge and just like to ask you a few questions. Yep, no worries. So how many firearms would you have at home? I said nine. And she said, well, why do you need so many firearms? You can't use them at once. And I looked at the cameraman and I said, do you play golf? And he nods and I said, do you play the whole round with a putter? And he shook his head and smiled and then she gave him the signal to say, cut the camera. And that was the end of the interview. Couldn't get it out of me, but that's the same point. You can't, you can't go around with one or two guns. You need, you need more for more animals or more you know, larger size things. Anyway, that's my two cents in my story with Channel 7. Well, look, mate, I think that's probably a, a good place to wrap up for our shorter episode. So I hope... The listeners have enjoyed it and uh, we're going to try and focus on a bit of a topic each time we do one of these shorter episodes and whether it be for new hunters, people thinking about getting into hunting or even experienced hunters, we've got some tips and tricks that come in and they also come in from our listeners. There was a great one that came in the other week from when we talked about the Windicator and I had a tip and I've never used it. I'm interested if anyone else out there has used it. Uh, we had it written in that use some Bricky's chalk or builder's chalk because it's uh, you can get it in different colours, so it will makes it a bit more visible than white sometimes. Uh, so I'm really curious. I've never used it. It probably will be what I fill up my Windicator with when I run out just to give it a, a bit of a run. But, yeah, thanks. Shout out to the listener that wrote in and gave us that tip. And if there's any other tips out there, guys, feel free, jump on our socials. Or jump on our website, www.endlesspursuit.com.au. New website up and running. You can find links to our socials, all the episodes, and watch this space for new things coming. Dodge, anything else to add? Well, also, on our socials at the moment, we have a competition running, which we uh, employ to jump on and have a go at. We had Chris Waters on from the Australian Hunters Club, the Australian Huntsman himself and he's kindly donated several memberships to his Australian Hunters Club for our listeners and all you need to do is like comment and share the post and tell us what you're liking about the podcast so jump on share it around get it going because pretty highly sought after those memberships Matt and I have both jumped on board and become members so looking forward to seeing a few more of our listeners jump on there and become members whether you win it through us or Go on and purchase it yourself. Definitely some valid reasons for being a member of that club. Looking forward to where that leads. Definitely. Sounds good. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed tonight's episode and you look forward to more in the future. Dodge, thank you, mate, and we'll catch up soon. Bye for now. See you guys. 
If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.